When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening live or archived, we are so glad you could join us today as we record on Wednesday, October 30th, in preview, Virginia Tech and Notre Dame this Saturday. Our crew today, as always, we've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing on the podcast set, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart, and I am your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Thanks to everybody for being with us. A reminder that this week and every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more, defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Gentlemen, good morning. Good, great to be back with you guys. Great podcast on Monday. Virginia Tech head wrestling coach Tony Roby stopping by. And now we go back to talking Virginia Tech football. Before I ask you guys how you're doing, though, Will, I want to uh, congratulate you and your wife uh, celebrating your anniversary last week. How was the uh, special day? That was very cool. We went to, uh, uh, we stayed at the Hotel Roanoke. I know I mentioned this in an article. I don't think we talked. Now, we, we were all business on the podcast when Roby was here. <laughs> um, stayed in the Hotel Roanoke, and uh, Brian Wells, who is the manager of the Hotel Roanoke, uh, Brian shot a couple of uh, – he's done some photography for us. He did a softball game last year and a, and a wrestling match. So, I, you know, I, I've, I've actually never met Brian in person. We just have one of those email relationships. And uh, Brian – put my wife and I up in the Commonwealth suite which is the the room that coach stays in so I I believe I bedded down in the same suite that uh, Fuente spends the nights in before home games so it was really nice <laughs> yeah um, and so we had a good time really enjoyed it uh, that's the first time I've ever been to the Hotel Roanoke just there's just a lot of history there it's a beautiful building and and they from what I can tell, when they redid it, they preserved as much as they could. I mean, when you get in the elevators, the elevators look like the original elevators. Um, so it's just a neat place. Highly recommend it. So that's a little free advertising. Highly for, recommend for, the for, Commonwealth Suite. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you can afford it, the regular price is three seventy-five a night, which really isn't that bad, I don't think. And it's kind of cool. They've got a walkway that goes over to center in the square. And... Uh, I've been meaning to put something on Twitter. Uh, we went over to Center in the Square. There's a pinball museum over there. It's not a museum per se. I mean, there's a lot of cool old pinball machines in there, but, you know, you, you pay and, and you play. So it's not just one where you walk around and look at it. But I also discovered the Roanoke Starcade, which is a an arcade room which uh, with games in it from my youth. Because back when I was in high school, we went to arcades and played the big stand-up consoles um, in home 
console systems weren't a thing yet. You know, Nintendo and all that stuff. And, of course, Xbox and PS, uh, PlayStation were all way in the future. So I discovered a, a row of, of machines. There's about six of them, and three of them are my favorites. Centipede, uh, Asteroids, and Galaga. So it's 11 bucks. Play as much as you want, and I will I will be going to the Roanoke Starcade and did, and paying my 11 bucks. Did they and, sell beer? You know, I don't think so, no. <laughs> I went to a barcade in Richmond. Though, that would All the sense. old arcade games and probably 40 different beer on tap. All right, so yeah. I need to, I need to plan a you, trip you, to... You, uh, and you go up in a port, you know, port oh, room. Oh, I've been. Like it's like in that. downtown Richmond. Yeah. yeah. Now, is that really one of those cool deals spot. where you pay, you pay a flat fee and then you just play as much as you want? Uh, I forget exactly. There, there's tokens, works. I believe. There, there, if we're talking tokens. about the same place, yeah, right? Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah no. See, the Starcade, you you pay a flat fee and you you play as much as you want. Okay. Um, so back in the day, you know, we used to pump quarters in the machines, and if you wanted a if you wanted a machine and somebody was playing it, you then you put a quarter on the machine, huh. and and you know whoever. And sometimes popular machines would have three and four quarters lined up, you know. So I don't know if you're just paying a fee and somebody's hogging a machine. How do you how do you get them off of it? But I'll figure that out. Um, I checked out the high scores on the centipede machine, and man, I can beat those if I get myself back in. It's like 150. You got to get your hand back to 100. percent Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, come to think of it, I do. Uh, um, I think the high score was like 150 thousand or something like that, and there were there, my my high score in my youth and in my prime was like 250, 260 thousand. So. If I get it going, I can I can leave the room with a high score. There you have it. Were you a Pac-Man guy back in the day? No, you know I never got into Pac-Man. It was uh, um, that was back when they discovered that there was a certain pattern you could do in Pac. Are you familiar with this? That if once the Pac-Man game starts, if you make a certain sequence of moves, you can just go on and on and on and on and on. And you'll ne- you'll never get caught. And there were guys in the arcade that that knew that sequence of moves and. You know, of course, that's pretty boring to watch some dude just making pre-programmed moves. Um, My love of Pac-Man just dwindled just down a little bit after yeah. learning that. Okay. Yeah, so. it's, you know, machines are, I like to think, are never completely random. You know, so somebody discovered the pattern. But I, I don't know. I was just never a Pac-Man guy. I just yeah. never got into you it. You need the four-player Pac-Man when you play against each other. No, that would be cool. Uh, that I've got that fun. in Richmond. Yeah, Last well, thing, I, by the I, way. I was like, where's he going with that? He said four-play. listen last year we actually got to record on halloween it is the day before halloween as we record on uh wednesday morning october 30th so before we dive in i do have to ask what's your favorite candy on halloween man uh well it's little candy bars it's it's more of of what grosses me out on halloween any 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 marshmallow candy yeah blech um I, I like the little the little candy bars, like uh, the the little fun size ones. Snickers, not a big Three Musketeers fan. Okay. I like I like the Nestle Crunch, mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing. Twix, Twix is always good, and uh, Kit Kat. So that's my thing. I could eat those forever. Uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, same as every other day of the year. <laughs> there you go. Okay, uh, we've got a lot to dive into on the podcast today. And so glad every everybody could join us. Tech Sideline Podcast recording on Wednesday morning, October thirtieth. We've got the normal crew. Uh, Virginia Tech is coming off the bye week, and the Hokies and the Irish will play on Saturday. We will break it all down. I do for our listener or watch our viewers on Facebook Live. I want to put a trivia question out there. I want to see if you guys know it. We'll get to it at the end, but. Uh, before we get in, drop the comment. We'll get to it at the end of the podcast. Virginia Tech is 2-0 and in games played in the state of Indiana. 
of course, one of the wins being Notre Dame in 2016. What was the other win? I got it. Yeah. For Virginia. Yeah. Okay. He I'm was here. both of them. Yeah. Okay. I'm curious yeah, to see if uh, how quickly it'll come on Facebook. So, so uh, if, you're, if you're watching on the video, we got a picture of Touchdown Jesus uh, up, up on the television screen. That was taken by uh, Ivan Morozov or Ivan. Is, uh, I, I, I prefer the – he calls it the French pronunciation, Ivan. <laughs> Um, he took that up there in uh, 2016. That was post game, so he's got touchdown Jesus pregame when when it was like I don't know mid afternoon, and that's touchdown Jesus post game with the uh, the lights on and everything. And it's cool. I don't you know I don't know if you can still see it, but I didn't realize until we went up to the game in 2016 that you can sit in the stands and and you if you're up I don't know if you even need to be up that high, but touchdown Jesus is basically at one end of the stadium. You yeah. can you can see him out there. Well, I'm five rows from the top this week, so I should have a good view. <laughs> you know, and I don't think they blocked the view on the refurbishment of their stadium. That was the other thing when we were up there in 2016. They were just starting a uh, uh, um, expansion. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, modernization of their stadium it's a good way to say it they they were they were old school they didn't have a video board so one of the things that was kind of uh interesting that i remember about being up there other than the fact that it was extremely cold is that uh you know how you'll be in lane stadium or some other stadium and they'll show you video highlights on the video board well notre dame would run audio highlights over the pa system you know from games past because they didn't have a video board but I remember sitting in the stadium, and they were in the process of at one end building that structure that would that would hold the board. So I'm looking forward to getting there and seeing what it looks like now that they've modernized it. And they also, when they redid their stadium, I don't know a lot about it. I just know that capacity got reduced from about eighty thousand to about seventy-seven thousand. So they probably wiped out some seats for luxury boxes and and that sort of thing. Like yeah. So they were very much uh, on the tail end of that. Everybody else had already done it when they finally got around to it. Well, we'll have to have a uh, portion of the podcast on Monday reserved for just the experience of being back at the uh, revamped Notre Dame Stadium. Okay. I, I hope to be here on Monday. I'm flying back out of Chicago Sunday night. The last time I flew out of Chicago, my flight was delayed by three hours. So I hope that doesn't happen again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the stadium is one thing. Uh, now, two places I've never been are I did not go to Texas A&M when Tech went down there, and I didn't go to Nebraska when Tech went there. But I did go to South Bend in 2016, and they are the nicest fans you could ever be around. Interesting. Very hospitable, just very nice fans. Uh, um People don't really talk about that. They talk about how great Nebraska fans are. Everybody knows how great Nebraska fans are. And and I have been told that the Texas A&M fans were great. But people don't really talk about Notre Dame fans being great. But they were awesome. All right. Again, looking forward to the update from you guys on uh, how it is. Again, both Will and Chris are going to the game on, uh, on oh, Saturday. And, and one more thing I want to throw out there is that uh, we are doing a tailgate with a group up there called Tailgate the Bend. Um, it's at a restaurant. It's uh, So it's a... Uh, it's Parisi's restaurant, which has been in South Bend for decades. Mm-hmm. And when you when you step out of the front of Parisi's restaurant, you can you can see the football stadium. It's about a five minute walk, and so they're they're having a big tailgate. Uh, so far, I think we've we've sold close to two hundred tickets for them. So there will be two hundred uh, TSL people there. Um, they're also working with uh, VT Scoop, the 24-7 sports site. So I think they're going to bring some people, too. Uh, so for 100 bucks, unlimited food, unlimited beer, uh, live entertainment, and a cash liquor bar. And 
you know, certainly we've, we've been pushing this on the site and, and selling tickets for them for, for weeks. But, you know, if you want to show up uh, on game day, you can do that. So uh, the, probably the best way to find out about that is to go to Tech Sideline and go to either one of our foot, any one of our football schedules and look on the schedule and look next to the Notre Dame game. You'll see a little icon that says tailgate the bend. So click that and find out if you're interested in coming and uh, tailgating with us. There you go. Uh, go to TechSideLine.com for more information. Uh, listen, we've got a lot to dive into after this bye week, and obviously this is an important game. Um, I, w- I want to start with you, Chris. Going back to the North Carolina win, the thrilling six-overtime victory. If you go back and watch the, the, the sideline reporter interview, Coach Fuente, um, minutes after that game's over, one of the things that stuck out with me stood out to me was him saying how Tech needed to get healthy. And that was one of the main uh, areas of concern after that North Carolina game. So, obviously, you can't control when the bye week is. But in hindsight, how important was it to have a bye week after the North Carolina game? Important, but I said, I said before the Duke game, this is a perfect time for a bye week. Also, and then they got thumped forty-five to ten by Duke. Yeah. So, I, I agree from a health standpoint for sure. Like, I, I don't know that Hendon Hooker would have been able to play this past weekend, but sounds like he's going full speed now. Um, unless Fuente is just, you know, using the media to trick. Fuente has never lied to us, to my knowledge, about injuries. Yeah. Um, he, he doesn't like to talk about him, but he said the other day, words to the effect of, he's out there running around, he looks great. Yeah. And hes I don't think he's ever said something like that and been lying about it. So. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like they'll get Deshaun Crawford back, which is big. Um, he's in Virginia Tech's. Did, did people ask about Crawford the other day? I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- I think so. I think yeah. so. Um, but I'd be surprised. I mean, he missed the Rhode Island game. He missed the North Carolina game, and now he's had a bye week. Yeah. It'd be, uh, it'd be a surprise if he wasn't back to full speed. Uh, Hopefully he'll be 100%. C- Caleb Farley will be back. I think Caleb Farley could have played the second half against Notre Dame. It's just, you know, these days Virginia Tech have the, has those – computer monitors and helmets that monitor hits and says oh he can't play anymore because he's concussed when he's may or may not be concussed i I watched fuente's post game press conference after unc and he was like yeah he was over there on the sideline with us he was fine yeah and i could just he didn't roll his eyes because the camera was on him but i could i could i think in his head he was rolling his eyes because farley could have played that second half for sure. Fortunately, Ar- fortunately Armani. they won. Yeah, yeah. fortunately Armani Chapman and Armani Chapman really well. played pretty well. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like all the guys that were Caleb Farley's, the Hennon Hookers, Deshaun Crawford, sounds like they will be healthy for this week against Notre Dame. Sounds like it. Will, let me ask you this: having a bye week after a six overtime game, psychologically, is that important? Do you think at all? Not having to play a game after such a big high like that game? Man, I just don't know. Uh, you know, everybody has their opinions on what bye weeks do. We all know they help the team get healthier. As to what they do mentally, you know, there's two sides to that coin. Hey, we're winning. Let's keep playing. Um, we've seen teams come off of bye weeks and play great. We've seen teams come off of bye weeks and play terrible. It's just it's it's hard to pin down. I, I don't think it really matters. Uh, well, maybe that's the wrong way of phrasing it. Um, I'm, I'm thinking there are examples on both sides. Right. Like, Miami had a bye week before us, right? Or, no, they did not. Are um, you sure? I mean, no, uh, actually. I think Miami did. They did have a bye week before us, yeah. and we beat them. And Virginia had a bye week before Miami, and Miami was coming off a short week, and, and Miami beat Virginia. Uh, I just don't see – 
I'm sure if you really did the research for every program, that there there's something that says yeah, on the whole, teams coming off a of bye week do do better. Probably the case, but I don't I don't think it's overwhelming. Um, I just don't think it's that big a deal. I think it's to me the bye week is about you know getting healthy. Yeah, like you said, and honestly, I I don't know that. I don't know how much you sit around and prepare for the other team. Like, like if you're if if you're like Fuente rested some guys last week. He was like, yeah, we didn't get as much work for the Dalton Keens and the Brayshard Ashby's on the team. I mean, those guys already know what to do. We wanted to rep some of the younger guys, and I think Tech really worked on themselves rather than sitting there working on Notre Dame stuff. And and I you know I I don't know that they gave players, uh, you know the the team days off from practice per se, but. You know uh, that that North Carolina game was a huge recruiting weekend for Tech. They had a lot of was guys. Was it over a hundred? Was that the number? You know, we've it, 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 the number one hundred and fifty was thrown around. I don't think they had one hundred and fifty recruits there. Was, no. I, I think that probably included family members. Yeah, I did. Yeah. You know, uh, but it gives the coaches a chance to follow up on some of that. You know, if they're not game planning for a specific opponent, then they can take the time at night to make calls and things like that. Yeah, uh, some members of the staff had a bunch of guys that. PKs on Sunday when I was in there for lunch. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, and normally, you know, you're sitting around watching film of the upcoming opponent <laughs> at that point, right? Yeah, game uh, planning and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it was it was a good time for a big recruiting weekend, also. Yeah. So that that was that was the best week of the season in all as- aspects for Virginia Tech. Yeah. I'm gonna break down the bye, getting ready to preview Notre Dame here on the Tech Sideline Podcast, presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Listen, one of the big questions going into this week, one that's um, you know, getting a lot of chatter on social media and the message boards is who's going to be the backup quarterback for Virginia Tech moving forward? Well, I'll let you start. Who do you think? Looks like it's Quincy, Chris. Is uh, that I, correct? I don't see why it wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, I, I just when you when you pull Willis when you bench him for the second time, and it's so hard to have a game plan for Hendon Hooker that is the same game plan as Ryan Willis, right? right. They're just two totally different quarterbacks. Um, Ryan's an athletic guy. He's got good straight-ahead speed. He'd be effective running the read option. He just can't read. <laughs> yeah, and, and we've he seen him do it a few part. times. Like, I remember the very first game he played against against Old Dominion, he made one really good read, yeah, and, and, man, he was downfield 20 yards, yards yeah, 20 or 30 yeah. yards. And, and I, I specifically remember he surprised Old Dominion's defense. Right. He, one guy barely caught him or it would have been a touchdown. Well, right. So he's got the speed. So Tech was better with running the read option with Josh Jackson than Ryan Willis, even though Jackson isn't as good an athlete as Willis. Right, right. Because he just made he didn't make the wrong read as many times as Willis did. With Quincy in there, you could basically run the same running offense. You scale back the passing game to a certain extent, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, you, you basically – you don't have to worry about – Oh, gosh, what do we do with Willis in a quarterback? Um, and, I, and I get tired of saying this because, honestly, you can't really do much with Willis at quarterback. He just does, he doesn't read defense as well enough. He's, he doesn't process things quickly. Um, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a pocket passer who can run, but he can't, he can't read the field. Right. So there's no point in throwing him in there unless you absolutely have to. Yeah. Um, and- people talk about, oh, well, you need to game plan to his strengths. Well, his strengths are literally throwing bombs. And then throwing the fade. <laughs> right, right. You, you can't throw a bomb every play. Right. Okay? You have to be able to execute your regular offense, and, and he can't do that. And I, I, I hope 
I don't I don't dislike Willis or anything, but but I hope we've seen the last of him because I I don't like pointing out his deficiencies because right. at this point it's obvious he's just not a good college quarterback, and I think it's easier on Virginia Tech to game plan with Hooker and Patterson as your top two as opposed to Hooker and Willis, and quite frankly it speeds up Quincy's development by getting him more reps. Um, I think probably a better way to put it is that Ryan is, is certainly not suited for this offense and, and what the coaches want to run. And But how many programs are, 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 honestly, are running Honestly, well, I don't something? think he's suited for any offense. Yeah. Any offense, you've got to – You have an issue with him reading zone defenses yeah. regardless of what the right, offense right, is. Right, right. If you can't yeah. run the read option, fine, then play in a, in a high-profile passing offense, right? Well, if you can't read defenses, you can't do that either. Yeah. So if and, you can't and, read coverages, you can't do that either. So. And some of his decision making has been suspect, and that's what got him pulled against uh, against North Carolina was eating the ball on his sack. And I, and I think that's the moment where Fuente finally just snapped and yeah, said, he, "Man, we need to do." He something ate different. the ball on two diff- two passing plays on one drive. Yeah. And uh, I know he had a guy open on one of them, and either one of them though, he had plenty of time to just throw the ball away. Right. He's, he doesn't make quick decisions. So you talk about the system or who's a fit. He's not. He's a backup quarterback for anybody with a halfway decent quarterback in whatever system, in my opinion. So let me ask you guys this, because, you know, Hooker's going to be back, likely going to start if he plays. There are some people that say, hey, Quincy Patterson, elite 11 quarterback, big-time prospect, comes in, wins the game for Virginia Tech against North Carolina. Why continue to start Hooker over Quincy Patterson? What are the strengths of Hendon Hooker over Quincy Patterson? I think he has more of a grasp of the passing game right now. Um, I think when Quincy Patterson came in, it was totally unexpected. It's it's some something you don't prepare for. Uh, I don't think North Carolina was prepared for a three tight end package from Virginia Tech because the Hokies had hardly run that all year. Well, guess what? Notre Dame will be prepared for that. Uh, they were probably going to prepare for it anyway because that's what Tech did against Notre Dame back in 2016. That's they right. went with three tight end formations and just hammered. Um, and t- they could do the same thing this year because uh, Notre Dame's rush defense is suspect, you know, particularly in, the, in their last game against Michigan. Um, but yeah, Qu- Quincy doesn't grasp enough in the passing game right now, and you can tell by, you know, the play calling against UNC. Now that being said. You don't rep your third quarterback very much. Coaches play the percentages, right? How many times do you need your third quarterback? When's the last time Virginia Tech needed a third quarterback? Technically, they didn't need Quincy against UNC because Willis didn't get hurt. That was a coaching decision. It, it, it was at Florida State. And when was that? 2008. 2008. Eight? Over yeah. a decade. Tyrod so, got hurt and Glennon got hurt. And they, had Corey to bring, Holt? they had to bring in Corey, Corey Holt. Holt right. And Corey immediately throws a touchdown yeah, pass on yeah. a fade route. Uh-huh. Great stuff. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. And, and then, so even if you do count this as needing your third quarterback – the UNC game, I mean. That was 11 years later, so you're talking once every decade for Virginia Tech when they've needed their their third quarterback. So you play those percentages, and you just don't rep your third quarterback very much. You have limited amount of practice time with these guys. It's not the NFL where you sit around the facility all day and can do whatever. You have a limited amount of time you have with these guys, so you want to get the guys who are going to play all the reps. Um, So now that Quincy is getting second-string reps – I think he'll make more progress, or his progress will be faster in the passing game, simply because he's getting more reps. Um, and I think that's key to his development. If there is any kind of a quarterback controversy, and it won't be until the spring, in my opinion. Um, but at this point, man, if, if Hooker keeps playing like he's played, 
What coach in the world has ever pulled the plug on a good quarterback? You could argue that Dabo did it at at, uh, Clemson with uh, Trevor Lawrence over Kelly Bryant. But, you know, Kelly Bryant – Kelly Bryant was limited. Kelly Bryant couldn't throw the football down the field. And and Clemson has different goals than Virginia Tech. You know, Virginia Tech's goal is to win the next game, right? Clemson's goal was to is they're looking long term beating Alabama for the national championship, and they needed knew they needed a quarterback who could throw the ball downfield to accomplish that goal. So they made that change early in the season, and they and they knew that nobody in the ACC was going to be able to beat them, no matter who their quarterback was. So they right. would they were able to to bleed Lawrence, so to, so so to speak. Uh, yeah, because I th- if I remember correctly, it was the semifinals the year before where Kelly Bryant. Oh, they, they, lost they, like they got to three. They got a look at Clemson with Kelly Bryant against Alabama, and it wasn't. They good. They couldn't throw the football. Yeah. Down. You got to yeah. be able to throw the football. What a close game! To, yeah, yeah, you got to be able to throw the ball downfield to beat Alabama. Last thing on the quarterbacks, Will, is there a chance that we see Quincy Patterson, in your opinion, get more uh, maybe wildcat runs in the offense? Do you think that that's something with Hooker, who's been playing so well, who's eight of twelve against North Carolina before he left? If you bring in Quincy, does that halt the momentum of the offense? Do Bottom line, do we see more Quincy Patterson on the field, even if he's the backup or no? Uh, I think if, if you asked me to, to pick one and bet money, I would bet you'd see him some. I have no clue how much. Uh, I, I felt like up until the North Carolina game, and, and we talked about this before, I, I remember saying on the podcast at one point, if I could give Quincy one piece of advice, it would be, Put the pedal to the metal and run hard. I have not seen him run hard. We saw him run hard against North Carolina. So that's kind of new. So uh, um, I'm not the head coach. I don't know what uh, – Fuente has been willing to put the backups in there here and there, especially Quincy. If it was me, uh, I'd put him out there and try a few things and kind of just see what he looked like. How, how aggressively is he running? How hard is he hitting the hole? How well is – Notre Dame defending him and the offense when he's in there, you know. Uh, um, and I don't know how much of that depends upon how well things are going with Hendon Hooker. They were going pretty darn well in the North Carolina game until he got hurt. So yeah, thing like just like things were going well in the Pittsburgh game and the Boston College game in 2003 when they pulled Brian Randall and put in Marcus Vick. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, and the things bogged down when you change quarterbacks. So, so I think I'm changing my answer here. I think if Hendon goes out there and the offense is doing well, I don't think Fuente will mess with it. No, nah, I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I think I've always been an advocate of using Quincy in short yardage situations when yeah. you need a yard. Um, I, I think he's, he is a guy that, that could be good in that role. Now, with the caveat of, you can't. If you do use him like that, you can't go out there and run the same play every time. Eventually, you have to run something like a pop pass. A pop or, pass. We're all looking right, for the right, pop pass. Yeah, we're all looking for that. So, um, so that's the Sam gotta, Rogers play over the middle. Yes, yeah, right? Gerard Evans, Sam yeah. Rogers. Eventually, they're going to run that thing, and there's going to be about a hundred people are going to say, "See, I told you it was coming." Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. So, so uh, I think at some point you have to show something off that read option, and you have to let him throw it on a third and short situation. Otherwise, if you're a linebacker, if you feel like there's a 95% chance it's going to be a run, you're ignoring your key reads, and you're just attacking your gap as soon as the ball is snapped. And you're not even you're not paying any attention to your reads at all because you know he's going to run it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that, that makes offenses easier to defend when linebackers don't have to read their keys. So at some point you have to do something 
to make those linebackers hesitate and actually read their keys. So I'd, I'd like to play Quincy Patterson. I don't want to play Quincy Patterson just because he was an Elite 11 recruit. And I, and I think that's why that, that's why people keep asking. Look, Hendon Hooker's ranking wasn't all that different than, than Quincy Patterson's. They, they were both about the same in the national rankings. One got invited to the Elite 11 finals and one didn't. Um, but there wasn't there's, there wasn't that much difference between the two in the rankings or, or in the offer lists. Or, or anything like that. Uh, I mean, Hendon Hooker, I believe, had a Notre Dame offer. He was, he was talking this week about how he took a visit to Notre Dame and was right. like, man, it was cold. Can we go back inside? Yeah. Uh, so, I'll close with this. Hooker's numbers uh, in this 3-0 and record that he's helped lead Virginia Tech to, completing 57% of his passes, 572 yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions, yeah. and 180 uh, 178.2 rating in uh, in those games. So he's also run the ball 41 times for 160 yards and a touchdown. He's been very efficient. Um, I don't think anybody can complain about his performances at all. Uh, you'd like to see a higher completion percentage, but he had a few drops in there. And he was 10 of 20 against Miami. That was his first game action. Um, so we'll see. Notre Dame has film on him now. So you, you wonder what uh, – what will happen. But, well, North, if, if, but North Carolina had film on, on him too. And that was an exciting end to the North Carolina game. But, you know, once we got rolling with Hooker, we were rolling. And they didn't stop Tech at all in the fourth quarter. And so I don't, I don't know if that's – I don't know if that's that dramatic six-overtime game if Hendon Hooker's the quarterback for the whole game. Uh, yeah. I, I could see Tech w- uh, winning that game and well, not going to overtime at all. Yeah. So, so it's it's the it's responsibility of Virginia Tech coaching staff to keep moving the target. Films yes. out there on him. Keep keep moving the target. You yep. know? And that's what, that's what coaching staffs do. So here's kind of a, uh, a question I was thinking about yesterday because I wanted to bring up the running backs and their receiving core, and we typically go position group by position group. I'm going to ask kind of a uh, broad question, and I'm curious to see where you guys run with it regarding these three players. So there's there's five games left. And here we go. We're, we're in the, the final stretch um, of the season for Tech. Which of these three players is more imp- the most important to the success of Tech's offense from now until the end of the season? Trey Turner, Damon Hazleton, or Deshaun McLeese? Which individual player? Deshaun uh, McLeese. I would say McLeese also. Yeah. Um, I, I think having Hooker and Hazleton together healthy finally has you made mean, it. You mean – Turner and Hazelton or Turner and Hazelton healthy right. at the same time has made a big difference. But if if you lost but at least if, if you lose one of those guys, you've still got the other. Um if you lost McLeese, you don't know exactly what you have behind him. Kashawn King's been hurt. Um is Dalton Keene your backup tailback? You're gonna if, play Tyus <laughs> Gary? What are you gonna do? Yeah, 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 it's just so much unknown there. there. There's less unknown with the receivers. They're not as deep as, as we thought they were gonna be. Uh, but there's still less unknown there, so I would certainly go McLeese. I'm just I'm just amazed with the transformation of Deshaun McLeese. Uh, He's you know, killing it. The 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 move he put on was it Chas Surratt? Yeah. When he we put when he that move back. on him in the hole. Oh my gosh! You know, and and he he still lacks that. Once he gets himself in the open field, he lacks that breakaway speed. But uh, everything else is looking pretty good. Yeah. Uh, 
Amazing how much better you look since Jerry Kill got here. Everybody keeps saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me, uh, I'll give you some numbers on McLeese. I was looking through uh, Virginia Tech's game notes and some numbers on the running game because I, I wish we could pull back the audio from the podcast leading up to the Furman week. And we had we were talking about the running game, and Coach Fuente was talking about the running game. Everybody was talking about the running game. Here are some numbers. First of all, Tech is now 24-6 and six under Fuente when producing 150 yards of net rushing yards and 14-3 and three with 200-plus net rushing yards in his career. Uh, right now, Tech is fifth in the ACC, averaging 175 yards a game on the ground. And McLeese is eighth in the ACC in rushing with uh, 67.9 yards per game. Yeah, that sounds about right. And the thing is, those numbers are trending up. Yeah. There were some games earlier this season where Tech couldn't run the ball. And if you're thinking, well, what if, what if Hooker had played in that game or in those first four games? And he, what if he had been the guy? How much better would those rushing numbers be? Yeah, and that that's that's – Let's pick that pick up that discussion later when we're talking about, you know, kind of the Notre Dame game and trying to make predictions for it. Yep. Here's my last thing about Tech before we step aside and talk about Notre Dame. Only point I want to talk about the defense and coming off the bye was Reggie Floyd missed the first half against North Carolina. He was ejected in the second half of the Rhode Island game for targeting. Saw Devin Hunter play. Saw Devin Hunter play a little bit in the second half of that North Carolina game. And then, of course, the unsung hero in overtime was Khalil Ladler. Mm -hmm. You look at that safety position. Are you feeling more comfortable with Hunter and Ladler getting more reps? Is Reggie Floyd the guy uh, back there? I mean, I think... Yeah, Reggie Floyd's the guy. He actually played his best game against North Carolina. Yeah. So he responded to all the criticism and played a good game against Carolina. Chamari Connor up until the North Carolina game had been great. I don't know if maybe he had a slight injury or something like that, but people remember the Khalil Ladler plays. The Khalil had two or three before that where he just whiffed on tackles in the open field. So everybody remembers the plays he made because he made them, and that, that made them forget about the earlier plays he didn't make. So I think Connor, yeah, it's possible he might have been hurt because he, even when Ladler messed up just as bad as Connor did, they didn't put Connor right back in the game. Uh, Ladler, I guess, was a little better in, in coverage um, in that game, but I still roll with Jamari long term there, of course. Um, I, just because they played well – for a half in the case of Devin Hunter and the, and Hunter I wouldn't say he played well he didn't he didn't play great but he didn't play bad either he just he made tackles when he had to make them and didn't he, get burned uh, he was he was there previously when we'd seen him he, he looked lost and right. he, he, he didn't, didn't he didn't look lost. lost so it was yeah. a step in the right direction right but you know you're not talking about a dominant football player here uh, Reggie Reggie made a more positive impact in the second half than, than Devin did in the first half, in, in my opinion. Um, so, no, I'm still not comfortable with them because of the inconsistency. I, I don't trust that position group. Well, like, they're, they're going to have to do it for multiple games in a row. Yeah. Because, because you can't come out and say, this guy played well for a half, this guy played well for a half. Ladler, who had been benched for Connor, came in and played 22 snaps, and 15 of them were good and made two key plays in overtime that everybody saw, well, there's a reason he got benched in the first place for, for, for Connor, right? Uh, so you're going to have to – for me, you got to have more consistency there before I'm on board, and I'm talking game-by-game game consistency. Now, I do like having a guy like Ladler who 
can pretty much play every safety spot. He can play whip, free safety, rover. It's good to have a versatile guy like that in the program. Um, but that group still has a long way to go. Um, now, hopefully, that hopefully the UNC game was a turning point for them, and they start to play well from here on out. Because if they do, if they do play consistent football, honestly, the rest of the defense is playing consistent football. When this, when, is, when this defense gives up big plays, it's typically the same guys slash position groups that are making the mistakes. Right. That's what it boils down to. Um, I don't find myself watching the defensive tackles and thinking they're a liability. No, I don't no. find myself watching the mic position and thinking it's a liability. I don't think the corners are a liability anymore. It's no, they're, they're positives at this point. You know, and and opposing coaching staffs aren't dumb as we've as we've said multiple times. It's all about finding the mismatches and exploiting them. I did not expect North Carolina to go after Chamari Connor, but they knew they had a mismatch and they exploited it. Yeah, and, and, uh, and Notre Dame will do the same. They'll watch film and they'll be like, okay. Uh, when, when the ball's on this hash mark, if Hollyfield's in the game and, and Floyd's in the game, we're, we're going to go after that, that area. Notre Dame doesn't have a dynamic outside receiver this year like they had last year with the guy. Miles who, Boykin. Yeah, who starts yeah. for the Ravens, Ravens. now. Right. Um, but they got a good tight end and they got a good slot receiver, in my opinion. So that's what you got to watch out for. And that is a perfect preview for what we're going to talk about on the other side of this timeout. We'll talk about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish coming off of a 45-14 to loss to Michigan. What does it mean for Virginia Tech? We'll discuss on the other side of this timeout. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back aboard the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. We've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing on the podcast set. Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, and I'm Evan Hughes. We transition from talking about Virginia Tech over the bye week, a little bit of recap of the North Carolina game, and now it's time to focus on the fighting Irish. Notre Dame uh, coming in this weekend, 5-2 and two on the season, 45-14 to 14 loss at Michigan. Maybe one of the biggest wins of the uh, Jim Harbaugh era for a guy who's been getting a ton of slack for not winning the big games as of late. Well, I want to start with this. I mean, I don't think a lot of people saw Notre Dame losing 45-14 on the road. Are the Hokies getting the Irish at a good time right now? Uh, I think – I don't know that I'm about to answer that question specifically. But uh, at this – at this point, Chris has written his preview. He's broken down Notre Dame. We'll get into some of that stuff. Uh, I've read it, edited it, and written my part of the preview. Um, Notre Dame appears to be overrated. Uh, well, they're I'm, not overrated anymore. Anymore. Well, they're still 16th in the country. Are they really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're 16th. Um, I, I watched a good portion, and, and we'll talk about this. I watched a good portion of their game against Georgia early in the year, and I was impressed with Notre Dame. I thought they just ran out of gas late in the game. I thought they didn't have the horses to, to hang with Georgia, but they, they, they put up a pretty good performance. They lost performance. by six on the road to a playoff. I thought, it was a large, I thought it was a larger margin. 23-17 to 17 final score. Mm, okay. Uh, they have not been very impressive since then against Power 5 competition, and, and Chris has probably got those numbers in, in his head, and he'll break it down for you. Um, 
I don't think they're as bad as they looked against Michigan, but I don't think they're as good as they looked against Georgia. And and for for me, we'll get into specifics here in a second. But in looking at Virginia Tech versus Notre Dame, uh, you're going to find that the biggest. Well, I'll just jump right into it because I, I tallied well, up. The, I tallied up the numbers last night. If I remember correctly, Notre Dame starts twelve seniors. Like nine juniors, seven juniors. That's nineteen. Three sophomores, twelve seniors, seven juniors, three sophomores, and zero freshmen. Uh, check our game preview. Uh, I think but they've uh, only got like one freshman in the two deep, right? Could be something like that. Virginia Tech starts one senior, seven juniors. Wow. Yes, one senior, seven juniors, ten sophomores, and three freshmen. Roughly, the, those numbers quite don't quite add up. Check the game preview later for the exact numbers. You get the idea. Notre Dame in the in the freshman sophomore group has three guys. Virginia Tech in the freshman sophomore group has thirteen guys. If this was, if all else was equal, experience wise, I would I would really like Virginia Tech's chances. Yeah. Um, uh, Notre Dame's got some strong points to their team. They got some weaknesses too, just like Virginia Tech. I, this this thing would really be a a good matchup if the experience levels were equal. They've got really good defensive ends. Um, I don't think. Yeah, de- I take their defensive ends. Their defensive tackles don't appear to be as good without Jerry Tillery, who was a first round pick of the Chargers. Um, but the, the Notre Dame team that came into Lane Stadium last year was a college football playoff team, a much better team than this Notre Dame team, and. A lot, lot, lot deeper, like like more yeah, guys who were better. The, the, like they had three running backs exactly, last year, yep. and they got one this year. They, they only, one they only had one running back on the roster with more than twenty four carries. Yeah, uh, they just don't quite. Not, they don't come out come at you with waves of talent like they did last year. In my opinion, I, I think sometimes, you know, we see specific things, and and that's and we view things through that lens. And my only lens to Notre Dame this year was the Georgia game. Because I think Georgia was really good, and I watched Notre Dame go toe-to-toe with them from a physical standpoint. It was a great game. It was a great game. Um, and then I kind of stopped watching them. I watched some of their second half against UVA, and I'm like, uh, considering how awful UVA's offensive line is and how they lack talent at the skill positions, Notre Dame should be probably beating UVA by more than 15. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, okay, you know, UVA was really up for the game. It was a huge game for them. Then, I don't remember. Was that game in South Bend or yeah, Charlottesville? South Bend. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I'm mad that they get to go in September, and we always have to go in November. But, but yeah. anyway. Uh, <laughs> Side note. Yeah. <laughs> then they, they struggled to, to beat a USC team that is pretty good but not great. And then, you know, I didn't watch their game against uh, Michigan. I remember checking my phone late that night. I don't remember what I was doing, but I'm like, oh, yeah, Notre Dame and Michigan are playing. I looked at my phone, and it's 45-7. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Yeah. And then Notre Dame scored a late touchdown to make it even closer. Keep in mind, that's a Michigan offense that has – I mean, beat yeah. Iowa 10-3, only scored 21 yeah, against they, Penn they, State. I mean, they've they, been a mess. They ran it all over Notre Dame. And uh, so that, that lens I had for the Georgia game, they've been completely different in all the other games they've played. Uh, Ian Book's completion percentage is down 10, 9% from last year. Yeah, from sixty-eight uh, percent to fifty-nine percent thereabouts. And and in, in doing the roster cards, I'm pretty sure Book came into the Tech game last year over seventy percent. Right, and yeah. uh, but he wound up at like sixty-eight for yeah, the year. Yeah, and they've racked up their numbers against two really bad non-conference teams, Bowling Green and in New Mexico. Yeah, but th- their numbers against Power Five opponents offensively 
they're right there with Miami, Georgia Tech, Pitt, and UVA, who all Virginia Tech fans should know have horrible offenses this year. Well, Notre Dame's is right there with them against Power 5 opponents. So something like 343 yards per game or right. something like that. Yeah. They're just – they're not good. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think they're better. They should be better than they've shown. Um, I, I think they lack an identity. They lack running back depth. The one running back they do have has – Tony Jones Jr. Yeah, he has bruised ribs. He only had eight carries in their last game. Um, this is a big opportunity for Virginia Tech. So you think I, this, I, I don't know. I don't know what it'll do. What that loss does to Notre Dame mentally, and that's that you can't predict that. Brian Kelly, I watched his press conference yesterday, and he was like, you know, we lost our identity, we lost our culture, blah blah blah, all that stuff against Notre Dame, and he repeated it over and over and over again, and uh, basically he said he said we weren't tough enough. Uh, Michigan out toughed us, and you know maybe that's because maybe that's true because they certainly looked tough against Georgia, didn't they? Yeah, uh, they're tougher and better than they showed, but I also don't think they're as good as they sh- they showed against Georgia, considering what they've done in all their other games. Now that we have seven games of evidence now, um, so it's a big opportunity for Tech. I do think their defense will play better. Than it, than it did against Michigan. But I just don't think their offense is that good. And and, and getting tougher is, isn't necessarily going to solve their issues there. So if Virginia Tech's got Deshaun Crawford back and he's 100% not, not favoring a leg or anything like that, um, if, if Notre Dame's offense is incapable of identifying and exploiting mismatches and weaknesses, this could be a long day for them because Tech, Tech is – They've got their spots on defense where they're putting talent on the field, and and you know th- this could be a sixty-minute ball game, and, and I'm not sure. So that segues into something else I wanted to talk about. You know that we on our Tech sideline Twitter account, we I retweeted last night something interesting from OxVT where he was showing Virginia Tech's offense the last three games since they made the switch from Ryan Willis to Hendon Hooker slash Quincy Patterson. If you look at Virginia Tech's offensive numbers for the last three games, they're they're very good. Uh, I won't bore you with the details. They're they're but they're they're good. They're solid, particularly turnover margin. You know, and and one of the things you gotta like about Notre Dame's offense is Ian Book's only thrown two interceptions. He's got 15 touchdowns and only two interceptions. Yeah, but those were against Power Five teams. So well, and, and who was the Miami quarterback who had no interceptions coming and, in? And Jared Williams, <laughs> tech, yeah. <laughs> you know, so but I think Miami had probably been untested to that point. I can't remember who they played, but uh, uh, Book's been tested, and, he, and he's got a lot of experience. He's played in twenty-seven games in his career, so you know it, it could come down to which one of those guys is going to break, or either one of them. You know. So hearing what Chris just said, I don't have his name written down, and it's escaping me at the moment. But who will be a tougher quarterback for Tech to face this year? North Carolina's fresh Sam Howell. Now it's coming yeah. back to me. Sam Howell or Ian Book? Howell. Um, Interesting. The, the, they stress you. North Carolina's offense, it's not just Howell, but it's the, he's talented enough to make this offense work. But their philosophy is they stretch you side to side with the running game, and then they stretch you vertically with the passing game. So it's really hard to play against that defense, particularly if you're a safety, and particularly if you're a safety on the wide side of the field. So 
the two guys that were most likely to have bad games against UNC were Divine Diablo and Shamari Connor. Diablo didn't have a bad game, but Connor did. Yeah. Um, Notre Dame's offense doesn't put as much mental stress on you, and Book doesn't have the NFL arm that Howell does. Uh, he's got more experience and everything like that, yeah, but but to me, I would rather face Book than Howell for sure. Uh, if, if we're talking about Howell in the UNC offense and Book in the Notre Dame offense, uh, yeah, I, I, I fear Carolina more than Notre Dame for sure. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. All right, so last point I'll make before we uh, get predictions and then uh, want to take some time for our Facebook Live questions. Notre Dame's defense, first five games, combined 74 points allowed. In their last two games, they have given up 72 points combined. So who was the game before Michigan? It was Michigan. They lost 45-14, and then it was USC, uh, 30-27 final. Right. So, and... I'll make this point before you guys uh, make your predictions. So Virginia Tech has, the last couple of games, they've had to score 30-plus points to win the game. Notre Dame is 9-24 and when allowing 30-plus points under Brian Kelly. Well, I think unless you're a Big 12 team, most coaches are probably that's, that's about nine and twenty-four when be. they ever, when they give up thirty-plus points. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right, let's <laughs> dive into it. Let's, so I'm I'm curious now to hear your predictions because listen, the spread right now in Vegas point. I mean, it's like sixteen and a half to seventeen. I think and a half. I think that's too high. Um, I think Vegas is slow catching up on things. I think they were slow catching up at the beginning of the season that. Ryan Willis wasn't very, or Virginia Tech wasn't very good with Ryan Willis at quarterback. Yeah, Tech was not. It, it, t- t- it took them a month to figure that out, and I'm, I'm sure they actually figured it out. And I don't think they figured out that that Tech isn't isn't the same team, or at least does they don't appear to be the same team with with Hooker at quarterback. Uh, and I don't think they've quite figured out that Notre Dame is not this dynamic top ten team that everybody thought they were going to be when the season started. I mean, they're averaging 343 yards against Power 5 teams, for goodness sake. The only games they broke 400 yards over were against USC, who has the 98th-ranked defense, and Louisville, who has the 103rd-ranked defense. Mm. And they barely got over 400 yards against Louisville. It was like 423. So they have their struggles on that side of the ball. Um, I, I just I don't see it being some kind of 17-point game i think it'll be a four four quarter football i, I, I don't bet you know right and i and i i say in my mind oh if i was a betting man i'd do this and gosh it's amazing how often it turns out to be wrong but <laughs> if i was a betting man i would not bet notre dame to cover that spread yeah i would, I would have bet on miami earlier this season absolutely too, and lost a lot yeah. of money, right <laughs> well where where i really decided you 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 should never ever ever bet was the uh, virginia tech uh, north carolina state basketball game last year yeah, I'm like oh, gosh, oh, in the Jay, 20s at halftime. Right? J Rob's out, you know. Virginia Tech's going to get destroyed, and <laughs> and then no, yep. And NC State has the historical. What was the worst. final like 47? I don't think 24. Team, like, and uh, uh, NC State ended up with 24 points. That was the most. That was the worst and yet most amazing sporting event I've ever watched. <laughs> that's that, it's way up there. Yeah, uh, that's just, that's where the coaches say a win's a win, right? And and that that that's why we watch sports because you just never know when you you're going to see know, a six overtime game or a college team scoring twenty four <laughs> points in basketball. Sports are the best reality television shows. So, <laughs> right, yeah. all right, let's dive into our predictions. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you, and then we go to Will. Give us a a score. 
Uh, who wins and someone win or lose for Tech that's going to have to have a great game? I picked it 27-20 Notre Dame. I, I, I might revise that a little bit before I post my preview. I, I don't know. I think Notre Dame is good but not great. And I, I'm not going to say they're trending down because of the Michigan game. I, th- I think that's unfair. But I do think at best they're, they're treading <laughs> water. Um where Tech is moving up. And uh, now, to be fair, the, the Tech's best wins are against a pair of four and four football teams. So it's not like they've, you know, got, they haven't beaten the Notre Dame yet. Um, they'll have an opportunity to. But I do think it'll be a four quarter football game. I do think Tech is a year away from winning this game. Yeah. Um, if, if this game was played next year, I don't know what Notre Dame's going to look like next year. but uh, Well, they're losing a lot of seniors. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And a new quarterback. Um, yeah. Who's that player for Tech that's going to have to stand out? Hooker. I mean, he's going to have to keep uh, keep doing what he's been doing, and Virginia Tech's going to have to keep running the football. Now, we don't know what Hendon Hooker looks like as a quarterback when Virginia Tech can't run the football yet. Hmm. You know, uh, so if Notre Dame can stop Tech's running game, then we'll we'll find out, right? And that's when it could be a long day for him if if the if he's in an offense that is one dimensional. Um, and I, I, I say all this, I've made all these predictions and talked about how I think Tech has a good chance to win the game. I'm actually fairly close to picking them to win the game. But we also don't know for 100% fact that he's healthy and ready to roll. I mean, Fuente says he is. Man, that was a nasty-looking knee injury. Was. <laughs> it was. Uh, well, Fuente said he actually hurt himself a couple of plays before Yeah, that. he did. He did. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he's 100%, but you never truly know. So for me, uh, you know, I'd I, I pick Notre Dame by ten. Uh, I, I, w- I would like this. If you flip the experience levels, I would really like Tech's chances. Really like Tech's chances. If you flip the experience levels, there's no way in the world I'd pick Notre Dame. Yeah. By the way, you go Honestly. back to that 2016 game. I ran the numbers on that as well, and the teams were pretty. They were pretty much evenly experienced. Yeah. And it wound up being a 34-31 ball game. Yeah, pretty good football game. Virginia Tech got down 17 nothing. I remember sitting there in Notre Dame Stadium going, uh, it's cold out here, and I came all the way up here for this. And it turned out to be pretty good. Uh, uh, I think more so than Hendon having a good game, uh, you know, he's what has he got, seven touchdowns and no interceptions? Now, he's putting the football on the ground some. He's, you know, having trouble with snaps here and there. Uh, he can't turn it over. It, it, for Virginia Tech to win this game, it, at some point, I always say this, people get mad at me. You know, he's got seven touchdown passes and no interceptions. The bad game's going to come, the two and three interception game. It's going to happen at some point. Uh, it can't happen up there if you want to win. Um, so he, he does he, – not only does he have to have a good game, he, I, I think more than that he can't turn it over. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I see Notre Dame winning this thing something like 31-21. Would not surprise me at all to see Virginia Tech actually win. I think the bigger surprise for me would be if Virginia Tech got blown out. And by blown out, I mean 34 to 10 or something like that. That would surprise me more than a competitive game or a Virginia Tech win. Yeah, I'm going to revise my preview to a certain extent, I think. Uh, How many points did Notre Dame, or excuse me, North Carolina have at the end of regulation against Tech? Wasn't it tied at 31? Correct. It was tied at 31. Carolina's offense is better, much better than Notre Dame's offense. I, I know. Uh, so, and I picked Notre Dame to. I think I picked twenty-seven to twenty. I don't know, man. Maybe twenty-four twenty. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's just. Uh, and, and I'm picking them to score thirty-one. I'm just. I'm assuming that 
they are going to exploit some mismatches and get some big plays. Uh, maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. I mean, UNC did it. I mean, honestly, half of UNC's offense was like on four plays. Uh, and I just don't think Notre Dame can stretch you as much vertically. Is They don't put as much stress on you. Yeah, so, so, so UNC exploited Jamari Connor, and then later on they got that flea flicker touchdown, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah they, they don't exploit – excuse me, they, they don't stress you in open space like Carolina does, in my opinion. I think they're easier to defend because of that. I don't know, man. Um, as we know, predicting Coastal Division games this yeah. year is yeah. – we still haven't built our will of destiny. To, to spend before every game. We do have an open spot on the wall there. Yeah, we could, do, <laughs> we could, we could just put a magic eight ball in over here next to, uh, next to the Terranome. Yeah, uh, I, I just I, – I just – I think it, it's going to – I seven, think it's going to come down to – Notre to Dame favored by 17? Uh, just, I'm not seeing see that. Yeah. Interesting. Well, listen, I'm looking forward to, first of all, reading the rest of the content in the suite on techsideline.com to get me even more pumped up for this game. But uh, I know we've got some pumped up uh, – Listeners and viewers right now on Facebook, that's where we bring in our fantastic producer, Malcolm Stewart. What's going on? Not much. Uh, let's start with, I'm reading from Michael Sands. He's got a two-part question. I want to start with the second part. Uh, rumors are that the future defensive coordinator has agreed in principle. Do you have any thoughts who it is, any ideas? I don't know. He started that rumor. Uh, Ask him. I, 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 <laughs> I, I don't, you know. <laughs> No, I don't have any thoughts on who it is. Um, you know, what, one, I'm, I'm not going to go there because I, I, could, I could throw a name just for discussion, just for discussion. I haven't been given a name. And if I throw a name out there for discussion, it's going to live for three weeks, and, and people are going to say that I'm saying that. Will Stewart it. said. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm not taking the bait. Sorry. But I did hear, I did hear from a decent source that they've agreed in principle with a, a – future dc uh does that mean they've been talking to somebody who's currently employed or somebody who's not employed i don't think it would be somebody who's not employed and and I, i'm biting my tongue i'm, I'm not going to tell you about a guy who who knows fuente and actually is unemployed right now not doing it not going there what's the other part of the question <laughs> <laughs> recruiting looks really bad for the coming year we have the 79th ranked class somewhere around there <laughs> dropping every day <laughs> so so for those of you I'll, I'll let you ask the question here in a second for those of the, uh, you who aren't caught up uh, noah kim is decommitted and uh I believe Steve, steven sings steven sings decommitted but he wasn't going to probably he was never going to qualify anyway. honestly in my opinion they never should have taken his commitment anyway because he had no chance to qualify and so when he decommitted it just makes him look bad for people who don't know anything about Stephen Sings like so, I, I never expected him to sign with Tech so I don't care that, that he decommitted right so yeah so last night I'm sitting there should, should we run an update that Stephen Sings decommitted I didn't I, even I, I like to have that stuff in print so to speak I'm like but if I put that up there then you got to add that he probably wasn't going to qualify and probably wasn't going to make it yeah. and I don't want to say that stuff about prospects in print right so you wind up writing what is a biased article which says this guy just decommitted from tech and that's the only piece of information you're giving out that looks bad and and the whole story is much more nuanced than yeah that. no but the original question is sorry malcolm well what is the question <laughs> uh what do you think like sort of a cause is it seems we're with the big time recruits but we just can't close yeah like, well a small class worse recruiting i i don't it's a combination of everything. It was never going to be that highly ranked class because there's limited spots in this class. But the problem is, to me, I don't care whether they're recruiting a three-star guy, a four-star guy, a five-star guy, or whatever. 
it's because Christian, nobody wanted Christian Derisaw, but he was one of Tech's top targets, and look, he's a really good player, right, even though he was a two-star guy. So I don't care if it's what his ranking is. I just want him to see, a, see them sign a high percentage of their top targets. Right. And if that gives them the 21st-ranked class, great. If that gives them the 41st-ranked class, that's great, too, because I trust their evaluation ability. But they've lost on too many of their top targets this year. It's understandable on defense because those guys don't know who their coaches are, are going to be. But didn't have a contract at first. Right. And then now they he know he's retired. Right. right. So you don't, so know, that, your, you don't right. even know who your position coaches are going to be. So think about it like this. Say you go in, you interview for a job. You're talking to the company president. They basically offer you the job, and you really like the company. You you, you really want to work there. And on the way out the door, it's like, oh, by the way, uh, let's say you're in sales. Uh, we're going to have a, a new vice president of sales shortly after you start working. We don't know who it's going to be, and he's going to bring in some of his own people. So we don't know who you're going to be working with on a day to basis. Do you still want the job? You're not going to take that. You're going to be like, uh, unless you're an no. idiot. Right. Yeah. Unless you really hate your current job. Right. So it's just defensively, I totally understand it. Offensively, they've missed on some guys that I. I have a hard time reconciling in my head. And this, this you follow it closer than I do. And, and this goes back to there were a list of maybe four or five guys going into this recruiting cycle that you knew Virginia Tech really wanted, and most of them disappeared off the board early. Right, right. So I, it's not that I don't have an issue with Tech's defensive recruiting this year. It's that I don't think there's anything they can realistically do about it. Right. It, it is what it, what it is. And that, that's what happens when, you know, Notre Dame's got two guys starting on their defense that I think would be playing for Virginia Tech if Frank Beamer's retirement situation didn't get drug out so long. Well, now the same, who are we going to be talking about in four years and saying, man, that guy would be playing for Virginia Tech if Bud Foster's retirement situation didn't drag out for so long so yeah. that, that's just the way it is when you get into these situations and there's nothing realistic that you can do about it offensively I, I don't know uh, I don't know what the issue is but I do think when the season's over well, they need to sit down as a staff once the defensive staff is hired and, and talk about recruiting strategies and, and figure out if they do have issues on that side of the ball and and what they need to do to address those issues hmm. awesome great question yeah I like this one from Don Mason. Uh, in order to pull the upset Saturday, who has to have the bigger game, offense or defense? I'm more fearful of Notre Dame's defense than I am their offense, but I, I will say this. If we go up there and shut down their offense, I mean, just shut it down, then we'll score enough points to win the game, uh, have enough confidence in our offense with, with Hooker in there. So you think that I'm going to go up there and say def if the defense has their best game of the year, that would be that would be more ideal than like the offense having their best game of the year. I think because the Notre Dame offense is bad enough, the Tech defense has their best game of the year. Notre Dame's getting shut down, right? Like completely. Hmm. That, that's that's my take. Uh, I, I, whereas I think if the Tech offense went up went up there and had their best game of the year, Notre Dame's defense is good enough where the best game of the year for Tech might only equal 30 points. Or there, or less, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. <clears throat> I'll, I'll go with that. I, I I don't have a different opinion than that. All right. Thanks so much to all of our uh, our viewers on Facebook Live this morning. Chiming in, great discussion, and we are just about an hour on the podcast. Do want to mention that the question to the uh, the answer to the trivia question I said before the podcast. I mean, people should be able to get this one. Yeah. 
you guys want to go ahead and uh, by the way the question um, Tech is two and zero in its previous games played in Indiana. 34-34 win against Notre Dame, of course, in 2016. The other one was? That's the win over Purdue in 2015. Year before. 25th, yeah. man. We should play Purdue more often. I mean, Everybody wants to play Purdue. Gosh, I mean. <laughs> they were decent last year, though. They were, they, they That's true. They, they beat Ohio, Ohio State. State right? yeah. they, they were awful back then. You want, Remember Brendan Miley was the quarterback, and Motley couldn't really do anything against anybody else, but somehow we dropped 50 points on Purdue. Yeah, what was bad. the final score of that game? You want to take 50-something to 20-something. Was right. it fifty-one thirty-four? Purdue thirty-four. They 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 got a couple of late touchdowns when we had backup defense in thirty-four. Yeah, yeah fifty-one mm. thirty-four. Uh, <laughs> September nineteenth, two thousand and fifteen. It, it wasn't as close as the final score indicated. No, no, and and I I, I remember one play. I remember Adonis Alexander was playing safety, and he had an interception that I was blown away by the amount of ground he covered, and I thought, man, that that guy's got a bright future. Didn't turn out to be a bright future at Virginia Tech, you know. But uh, I remember seeing that talent that day going, wow, that's an exceptional play. Yeah. And I'm, I think Matua Pawaka had a fumble return for a touchdown or something like that, or Tech blocked a punt, you know. Uh, I think, he, like, even Gimpy Trey Edmonds, who couldn't run that much at that point in his career, I think he had a long touchdown run yeah. in that game. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to point out is I ask each and every time at the end of the podcast what's on TechSideline.com the rest of the week. Will, I want to give you a chance to talk about your great article. You wrote uh, Virginia Tech's Coastal Championship Scenarios at 5-3. and three. What's a uh, little preview you can give about that article? All right, so if Virginia Tech goes 6-2, and two, they will win the Coastal because anybody else with two losses, they've already beaten. Uh, well, they would, it, it implies they beat UVA. They've already beaten Carolina. Carolina could also go 6-2 six and, six and two in, in conference, but Tech would win the head-to-head tiebreaker. So 6-2 is a no-brainer. 4-4 four and four is, it would be fun if you had two days to analyze. We don't. <laughs> so I looked at the 5-3 and three scenarios, and I spent 1,200 words coming up with the brilliant conclusion that if Virginia Tech goes 5-3 and three in order to win the Coastal, they'll basically have to beat uh, UVA and Pitt. They'll really have to beat UVA. UVA. UVA's only got three games left. One of them's against Georgia Tech, who you assume they'll beat. Even if they lose the other one, they're going to have uh, – I can't remember the number of losses. Tech's going to have to beat UVA to win the Coastal at 5-3. and three. They'll probably have to beat Pitt. But Pitt's got four games left and two losses. They could lose a couple other games, still beat Tech, wind up 4-4, four and four, and lose the division to a 5-3 and three Virginia Tech team. Uh, the, the one of the things that really benefits Tech is their loss so far is to an Atlantic. One of their losses is to an Atlantic Division team, Boston College. I think one of the more likely games that, that Virginia Tech has to lose in the ACC is is Wake Forest. Um, not the most likely, but one of the more likely. You know, Wake's got a Wake is going to really stress Tech when they come in here. So if Tech winds up with three losses and one is to Boston College and one is to Wake then the only Coastal Division team you've lost to is Duke. So how does that come into play, if you know the top of your head? Yeah, head-to-head matchups are the first thing. And people are asking me, well, like, what about in the case of a three-way tiebreaker? Because I wrote this whole article talking about head-to-head and two-way tiebreakers. People say, what about if three teams wind up being five and three and Tech's one of them? In that scenario, I believe the only team that would give Virginia Tech difficulty is if Duke went five and three. They won't. And I think they're currently two and three – and I just don't see them winning their last three and winding up in a three-way tie with the Hokies. So, um, I, and I believe somebody else on the message boards, I didn't analyze it to this degree, but somebody else on the message boards said that Virginia Tech is the only coastal team in control of their destiny. 
I don't know that that's true. I think UVA is also. Duke is four and four. Two. Well, UVA will be if they beat Carolina this weekend, right? Well, they are now. So, but technically they yeah. are. They, they well, need te- so technically they are now. Yeah, yeah Carolina is eliminated if they lose to UVA this weekend. So Duke uh, has beaten Tech, lost to Pitt, beat Georgia Tech, lost to UVA, lost to North Carolina. They have. Notre Dame, obviously not an ACC team. Syracuse at Wake Forest and Miami at home to close out their ACC season. Yeah, at, at Wake is going to be a tough nut for Duke to crack. Um, that, that, that fierce Wake crowd. <laughs> but I, I, I don't – never mind what you think about Syracuse. I don't see Duke getting through both Wake and Miami uh, and, and winding up think about Think about this conversation we're having. What if, what if we ran ClemsonSideline.com? What do you have to talk about all year? <laughs> you, you, uh, we're you talking about the rest are, of the country, right? We're talking about Alabama. And, uh, you, you're spending all your time splitting hairs, is what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I really think our third string tailback should be fourth string instead, because when he was in the game in the fourth quarter in this 50 point blowout, he looked slightly better than this other. You, guy. you spend a lot of time talking about Trevor Lawrence's interceptions, you know? Which, right, right, yeah, yeah. 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 That's awesome. All right, well, I think it's a great way to close the podcast. That's a great article that's on our homepage right now on TechSideline.com that Will wrote. Uh, CC, pretty normal week moving forward? Well, except for it's a total of four days and in, in, in the week because I'm leaving Friday morning. And I'm leaving Thursday third, morning. And he's so. leaving Thursday. So it's going to be five days of content in four days. Yeah. So pretty normal. Uh there's no true freshman report this week because there was no game this past week. Other than that, it's going to be a normal week. Fantastic. I will right, well, both of you uh, enjoy your time in uh, South Bend this weekend and looking forward to uh, recapping it on Monday. Hopefully you get back on time. I hope. I, I, just as long as I get back before midnight, I'll be fine. And enjoy. Uh, I don't want to mess up the name, but uh, tailgating with the, the, with the bend? Tailgate the bend, yep. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. Maybe you can take a picture of all the TSLers there and uh, all having a good time in uh, South Bend. All right. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. I want to thank everybody who chimed in on Facebook Live. Great conversation. Hokies and the Irish uh, play on Saturday. And we'll recap it on Monday morning right here on the Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Have a great week, Hokies.